Welcome to the third season of The Morning Glory Project, Stories of Determination. I'm your host, Betsy Graziani-Fassbinder, and together with my co-producer, Angela Washington, we bring you really amazing stories of amazing people. I'm so lucky that I get to have these conversations and to share them with you. These are conversations with people who have overcome, people who have endured, people who have gone on when others might not have. They've overcome losses or tragedies, disappointments and heartbreaks, or they've seen a goal and pursued it to its end. And what I'm really fascinated by is they don't just share that they had these stories or that they lived them, but how, what were their inspirations? What were the resources they used? What ideas kept them going? How did they dig deep and find what they needed to find to go on? Because it's my belief that when we learn how someone else got through hard times or found their goals, that we learn how we might be able to do the same. Thank you so much for listening to the Morning Glory Project. And if you like what you hear, give us a like or a share on your social media site or golly, use the good old-fashioned word of mouth and tell a friend about us. We love sharing these stories with other people. Thanks for listening. I'm ever so happy to be welcoming Stephen Dexter to the Morning Glory Project. Stephen is an actor, writer, audiobook narrator, and an activist based in New York City whose work can be seen on both stage and screen. He's appeared on off-Broadway and international stages and is a lifetime member of the legendary Actors Studio. He's worked steadily in film and TV, most recently appearing in Evil on Paramount+, Plus, Dr. Death on NBC Peacock, and Billions on Showtime. He's also an award-winning audiobook narrator with over 200 titles to his credit, and his most recent film, American Morning, which he wrote, produced, and stars in alongside Emmy winner Richard Schiff, who is familiar to us from The West Wing and recently The Good Doctor. This deals with the aftermath of a school shooting and the desperate measures a survivor resorts to to reconcile his guilt and to effect change. The film is currently on the festival circuit and has been lauded both here and abroad, receiving a Spirit of Cinema nomination and special mention for Best Short Film at the venerable Oldenburg Film Festival in Germany. Stephen Dexter, thank you so much for being part of the Morning Glory Project. Welcome. It was my pleasure. Thank you very much for having me, Betsy. So, Stephen, you're clearly a successful actor in lots of arenas. Hmm. What is it that brought you to this particular project of of writing and producing a short film of this nature at this time? Uh, I think it, it came from just uh, having been deeply affected and uh broken uh, in in a lot of ways uh following the events of Sandy Hook because I grew up in Connecticut and uh and only about 30 minutes from uh, from Newtown and uh and seeing those first images before I even you know, as as the details the horrific uh details were uh being revealed and 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 announced it was the pictures that really struck me of the kids being led through the parking lot and six-year-olds <laughs> yeah the little kids by the fbi agents and law enforcement and 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 how that easily could have been the elementary school that my sister and i went to you know newtown is is a very very similar town to um 
to uh, where I grew up in in Naugatuck. So it was something like that that really broke me and really, really got me active as I followed that story uh, and and was dealing with with the the the, the emotion and and the and 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 how deeply it affected me uh, and just how 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 things did not change how there was no there was no drastic uh there was a lot of you know fanfare and 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 outrage rightly so and and it really did seem even though there had been a lot of school shootings up to that point that were that were terrible there was something about this one that was just very specific and it just really seemed like well th- well this this has got to be could, could could we possibly imagine anything worse than this uh, and things still did not change and the obstacles that stood in the way and the the rationalizations uh, at the root of those obstacles were just so ridiculous to me. And and so it really, really got me involved um, and it became a top priority uh, for me to work for common sense gun legislation as much as I could. Uh, uh, so that got me involved in a lot of the amazing, uh, organizations that have, that, that sadly were necessary because of this tragedy and other tragedies that had come before and have, have subsequently come afterwards. And so I got involved in them living in New York city and, and when they would have rallies and, and, uh, so you kind of joined the, the activism of sensible gun gun legislation and sensible gun. I think of it even beyond legislation, Stephen, I think of it as America needs a sensible relationship (laughs) with guns. Mm -hmm. And in addition to legislation that helps that be the case, but like you and like so many people that I care about and, and activists, I know Sandy Hook was just that, that time because we all said, this is horrifying more horrifying than even every other one before, as horrifying as they all have been. Mm-hmm. But of course, this, this will be enough. Yeah. This will change things. And it's 10 years. It's 10 years since Sandy Hook. Mm-hmm. And our mutual friends, Sandy and Lonnie Phillips, who are, who founded Survivors Empowered, mm-hmm. informed me that it has been 27 years since there's been any federal gun legislation of any kind. Mm-hmm. Even so through Littleton, Colorado and Aurora and and the churches that have been shot, all of it, it just doesn't seem to change. So it sounds like you were in the same soup as a lot of us were in, which is like, of course, this will do it. And then, oh, my gosh, if this won't do it, what the hell will? Yeah, yeah, I, I think that that and then and then as each as the ones that 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 happened afterwards that happened at schools. I mean, you know, Parkland, I have family in, in Parkland. And so when that one happened, but again, that was another one that was like, wow, these these kids, the March for Our Lives movement, uh, you know, David Hogg and, and X Gonzalez and, and their whole thing. Like I thought, wow, this is this is I have not seen this since Sandy Hook. I've not mm-hmm. seen this kind of like rage coming out of the the grief and and enough is enough and and not one more and and all these different um you know hashtags and 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 things like that so i was really optimistic and 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 i think that they did do a lot of good but but for me it it i wanted to go beyond you know you, you start to like take an inventory and say okay i can 
I can, you know, donate, I can march, I can rally, I can get behind these people, I can sign the petitions and vote, you know, be a gun sense voter. And but what more can I do? And and because I have training in writing and a love for storytelling and and skills in in acting, then why don't I try to channel that? And 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 it and it could almost be a cathartic kind of thing because I, I was holding on to a lot of like harboring a lot of stuff that when you're not seeing, you know, and this is just for me who who has not been like directly affected um, yet to uh, to to gun violence and mass shooting, but still having empathy for my fellow human beings and and saying, how can I maybe help myself to start to let go of of some of this stuff? Well, so it's, it sounds like you were saying, you know, I'm I'm doing the stuff I know how to do, voting and marching, maybe, and those kinds of things. But it sounds like what you're saying is, you know, wait a minute, I'm in, and I'll, I'll use this metaphor aptly. It was time for bigger guns <laughs> in mm-hmm. your fight. It sounds like you needed to employ your art, and you know, that's what I I often hear people say. Well, you know, I don't. What am I going to do? You know, I'll 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 send ten dollars or I'll do this or that. But I often say, you know, you may have skills mm-hmm. <laughs> that 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 the passions that you believe in can use. And for you, it was the skill of writing, storytelling, and film mm-hmm. specifically to bring more attention to this topic. So can you tell me, first of all, tell me a bit about this film, and then I want to ask what you hope for from it. So the film itself, and I've been privileged enough to to be able to preview it. It's about what thirty five minutes long, something like uh, 25. that. Twenty five. Twenty five. Twenty five minutes. So it's, mm-hmm. so it's twenty five minutes long. It's it's not an easy film to watch uh, for anybody, nor is it meant to be. Mm-mm. But tell me about how it came about. What tell me about the film itself and the actors in it, and then we'll talk about what you hope for with it. Uh, I mean, really, the the way that I describe it to most people is that it was a, it was a purging and it was a, it was a a form of like bloodletting. Uh, I needed to, uh, get something out and, and like, like a lot of writing projects where, you know, it's the first, the hardest step is just to sit down and start writing and not prejudging and, and pre saying, this is going to suck. This is going to, you know, I I don't know what I'm doing. I don't, you know, cause you, you get in your own way and all these, you know, you've never written. A, you you did. You wrote like student films when you were in. You know, Who undergrad. Do you think you like are that. exactly like this isn't your story to tell and things like. But but knowing that, like, okay, this is this is going to be fiction. I'm going to take the feelings that 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 I have and just try to put it out there. And you get that first draft. And of course, every single first draft of any play, any screenplay, any novel has been terrible. And you go back and then you revise and you get people's pen and it does take a little while. And so the first draft that, that came out of, of American morning was only nine pages. And it really was just a conversation between father and son. The core was always that, uh, that has, that has remained throughout the different iterations and the different revisions and drafts and everything was that Connor, the protagonist was someone who had survived a shooting and, was so fed up with the fact that nothing had changed that he said, I'm going to take this into into my own hands and and kind of become a vigilante because it also, it always just seemed like this was always from a distance from the people that to me uh, 
were the ones that were standing in the way, the ones that were always saying, no, 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 the Second Amendment, the Second Amendment, freedom, freedom, you know, right to bear arms, rights, freedom, you know, that sort of thing. So it it started there, but then it was a very, very angry, really, really graphic when I it started to expand it into something that like, okay, if I want to make this more um, and, and have a, have the utmost impact, I need to kind of make this more than just this conversation between uh, a father and son. I need to give some backstory. And and the father in this case, in, in this case, played by the, the brilliant actor, Richard Schiff, who, mm-hmm. who, whose work I've admired for a long time, of course, yours, I'm just coming to know. Mm-hmm. Um, this It's the discussion between the two of them about, you know, after Connor has survived, and and to be clear, Connor, in this case, you, whom you play, is a as a teacher of mm-hmm. what first or second graders. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, they're like fourth graders. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so they're so a teacher of young kids mm-hmm. and caught in a school shooting. And I, and I'll say that as difficult as the film is to watch, I was so pleased that there was not gratuitous violence. There there wasn't the, the violence actually takes place off screen, which has as uh, Alfred Hitchcock knows, <laughs> knew, it is almost scarier because it takes place in your mind. But I, I was pleased that it didn't didn't have that. It, it was violent enough without having to see that and without having to re-injure people who, have, who are survivors. So you're a, a, a teacher of young kids. You survived this school shooting that's hor- horrible. And tell me about the relationship between your character and... Richard Schiff's character, the father-son, what's his function in the story? Uh, I think he's he he really f- functions as that grounded. Uh, I guess I don't know. The first word that came to mind was like my conscience, um, mm-hmm. which a lot of times you you know uh, the father-son relationship is is endlessly complicated. Um, not in, not in necessarily a bad way, but just for me. It's always something that uh, it's just very, very interesting to me. There's a screenplay, a feature length screenplay that I'm that I'm working on right now that kind of deals with the same type of dynamic, completely different. You know, it's not it's not uh, school shootings or, or, or gun violence mm-hmm. or anything like that, but it's it kind of it, it it deals with that because um, it's such a fascinating relationship. And so I think, you know, Connor being in his 30s and off teaching he has this career as an elementary school music teacher and um he's working in this you know this small town uh called beaconville in the film and and then this horrific um event happens which is kind of a two it's it's terrible uh enough as it is but the fact that you know like you see in the film the choice that he has to make the choice is kind of what to he has to he has to make sort of dare I say, sort of a, a Sophie's choice about protecting a child or, you know, or protecting the group. Of yeah. Children. Yeah. What, what? Yeah. And, and, and that, that, that aspect came out of uh, just conversations that I've had with uh, teacher friends of mine, which was mm-hmm. invaluable when I was, you know, when I wanted to do this as much justice as I could, um, you know, all the books that I, that I read and the interviews that I listened to and the documentaries that I watched and then reaching out to, friends and friends of friends who were teachers i tried to get you know like the younger the the kids the better um but i but i asked questions as as 
to, to everybody who would, was willing to answer. And, and again, thinking, oh, I can't ask that. I can't, when I came up with my list of like 10 questions thinking, oh, even though they're friends of mine like that, they're not going to want to answer that. So what, what was the question you did, you were afraid that you couldn't ask? Just about how they feel about the protocols and how they feel about active Mm. shooter drills and what they, and what they as public school teachers and in a couple of cases, private school teachers are, um, what's demanded of them. It's outrageous, you know, really, when we think about it, when we think how, how not only how little we pay in terms of monetary value, but how little teachers are valued. And then on top of it, to ask them to, to be in a war zone. Really. Yeah. To be soldiers in addition. So, so that's, that, that's so, so it was interesting to get the different, um, perspectives on what these these schools require is it you know is it a fight back sort of mentality the Alice acronym or is it you know do we just we we block out the window we and you know we go to the the quiet place away from that and we just wait um, and so I tried to kind of combine those things uh, so I had a you know I had a, I had a good friend of mine from childhood who said that he has a huge pair of like heavy metal scissors that he has in his desk that he could potentially use as a weapon. I have another friend who mm. uh, has a, she, she does like stagecraft um, for theater. And so she has a prop of like a, a spear or something like a meta. It's not an actual, but it still could be used as, as a weapon that she has in the room that she's like, I could use this if somebody gets through. So that's why, you know, Connor, it's a quick thing, but I was like, Oh, that's so, you know, it's so sad, but, I, I, I want to use that. And that's why he grabs like a big pair of scissors. And and I want it to be as as accurate as possible when it comes to that that protocol and the and the fact that these kids to the real experience of the of the teachers exactly and, and to keep it you. in that and to keep it in the room not not show the shooter not I wasn't interested in seeing who what the person looked like I wasn't interested in the you know what could we have done differently to help you know little Bobby so he didn't go and do this I'm like no this is this is all from the pers- that that's been done whenever I was looking at like films that have been done about this issue it always seemed to take that perspective well that's the other thing that I really admired about the film Stephen is it didn't glorify uh, the the person using the gun not that we don't need to pay attention to what how we break people in this culture mm-hmm. and how somebody can come to that point but. That's not what the point of this story mm-hmm. is. This story is about empathy for the role that this teacher is in. And the the other element of the story that I thought was interesting was that, how do I say it? That you didn't also develop all the characters in lots and lots of ways. I mean, there were just, you, you got to know the characters, the children really quickly. And there, here's this idyllic, here's a, a male teacher, which is in the lower grades, more of an anomaly than a norm. Mm-hmm. And so here's a male teacher, a music teacher, somebody who is loving and tender with these kids, which, which is a beautiful thing to see. And at the same time, you didn't, you know, he's clearly a, a sensitive, sweet, lovely guy, but he also is a conservative guy, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. correct? Can you say a little bit about why you made that particular choice? Yeah, because, I mean, the other thing is that we didn't want to, I didn't want to make it seem like it could easily be written off as a PSA and and as something that, you know, is just preaching to the choir. I, I the, the the biggest part of this film was, was, that we could somehow 
find common ground uh, is the ultimate objective is to say this this is someone who, you know, was not already a, a staunch, you know, liberal, but was someone who 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 was a member of this organization, you know, the American Gun Coalition, this gun group and 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 who who is 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 a devout uh, Catholic or was a devout Catholic and and Republican and and so to to say like but 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 this this happened to me and 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 this I I I cannot I I, I my eyes have been opened uh, mm-hmm. to this sort of thing and and why and how this is I don't understand you know wait until this this kind of thing happens to you and so we wanted to really just address that's why in the in the in the scene where you know connor uh is basically saying his last goodbyes you know his his motives for the that he's going to post on on youtube um these these are the things that i exploited these are the these are the loopholes that still exist that would allow me to do something like this and go after someone who it just never seems like it affects this person or these type of people directly. So maybe that's the answer. Um, because what we were, what we kind of came up with as a team is uh, when we were talking about, you know, like the films going out to these film festivals and we're going to be doing Q and A's and things like that is that the, the, the crux of the film is, is what will it take? And I think that was really great when, when that kind of axiom came up is because that that's what it 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 was like for me with uh when when Newtown happened it's just like are you serious right. like no way no way that this this would happen and then okay the kids and then and then we broke records with Las Vegas with 60 people killed and the fact that he was able to bring all that artillery up to his room over so many so many times and just and kill so many people and injure so many people and traumatize so many people and it was bump stocks let's 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 do away with bump stocks that he was and able that, to modify. And that was the focus. Yeah, to make it. And okay. And it was like, that's the placating. That's that's the, uh, okay, shoot, 60 people. That's the most ever. I'm, it's not just going to be thoughts and prayers. What else can we give them? Okay, bump stocks. There you go. Now be quiet. Well, what's, what's really clear to me about this film, there are a couple of things that really pop out. One is that it's not an anti-gun movie. It's an anti-gun violence movie. Mm-hmm. And- there's a difference. There's a difference between people who have guns for sport and are responsible with mm-hmm. them. I may not, it might not be my bag. I might never be interested in doing that, but I respect the right of others to do, to do that responsibly and ethically mm-hmm. and environmentally consciously. But this is not an anti-gun film. It's an anti-gun violence film. And it asks the question that you say so well, which is, what will it take? What will it take? So Stephen, I want to, I want to focus back just for a second on, you had to have overcome quite a lot of obstacles of various kinds. I imagine your own emotional obstacles, but also financial ones. And to get a film made, to, to get an actor um, like Richard Schiff involved, mm-hmm. to get people to contribute money. What, what was the, what kept you going to do that? Because I can only imagine how hard that is. It's hard. It's I, I'm an author. It's hard to just get a book published, much less yeah. a film made. Yeah, it it's it's um, it's believing in in your intentions. It's believing in this cause, and it and and it's also it's relying on on sometimes when you feel like you don't have that on on a on a support system. 
that can maybe carry you <laughs> when when you're saying no what the hell are we doing this is going to be so bad and and you know and even and even you know my my history of of self-doubt and 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 anxiety and 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 things like that it you fall into those traps of like even when the good things happen you're like oh my god well you know you, then when's the bad thing? Yeah, exactly. Happen? Or it's like you ha- you make these excuses of like, well, we can't make the movie because we don't, you know, we don't have the money. But if we had the money, oh my god, yeah, now we have the money. Oh, but it's not good enough. It's I got to revise the script. Once I revise the script, you know, oh, I write, oh, it's good. And now and then, you know, we get a director. Well, it's it's instead of a lot of times I would fall into the trap of instead of looking at the positives of oh my god, we have you know an established director who not only jumped at the chance to. um direct this film when there's so many other films that he could have directed. I mean, this is Robbie Bryan is someone who's directed like feature films um, with big names. And he was coming back to direct a short because he believed in this cause and he believed in the, in the story and the script. Mm. So, but I was, I was just feeling the pressure of that. And then when he said, I think Richard, I think I could get Richard Schiff to play Dale Mathis to play Connor's dad. And, and then it's just, Oh my God, the pressure of, it's just not going to be good enough. And then, but, but having the kind of love and support network in my life to say, Stephen, this is not something to be scared of. This is something to celebrate that it is that good. And, and the story is, and the intentions are that noble. Um, and this does have the chance for, to, to change things. These people are not just doing this. These people are not just saying this. And even when we had uh, all but locked uh, Richard Schiff in and and gotten Robbie and then had to had to and were fortunate enough to have enough money to go into production, we needed to then go back to crowdfunding uh, and appeal to the generosity of of others uh, for post production, and this was during a pandemic. So that was one of the big things of like, how can we ask yeah. people to give money to this film when there's people that are, you know, beating each other up for toilet paper? It was just so we were we were so like, you know, like oh, w- when is the right time to do it? But we have to do it now. So let's just you know take a chance. And then when we set the the you know our goal, I was like, ay ay ay. But then it just became, let's just see, let's just see what happens. Let's put as much as we can into our, you know, little pitch video and and just really be honest with people, not try to sell them on, please give us, you know, so much money because we want to be rich and famous, but just we worked really, really hard and these, you know, kids re- worked really, really hard and we believe in this film and what it can, and the dialogue that it can, it can start, the the, the conversations that, it, that people can really have because we do really feel like this is something different and it can, if people can just say, listen, and, and I've talked about this when we've, when, when I've been fortunate enough to attend the film festivals and, and talk with the audience afterwards is that these particular laws that Connor calls out are the ones that he exploit that enable him to potentially, you know, execute his, his, his ultimate plan, uh, are, are, are anybody could do. And, and so it's more of like a, uh, it's, it's, you said like it's a, it's an anti-gun violence, but it's also an anti-ease of acquisition film because that's the thing that just blows my mind is that, it, like you said, I'm not anti-gun. I'm not anti-Second Amendment. I I have family that own firearms. My my parents up in the woods of Vermont have a shotgun because there's bears and coyotes and and they're out in their backyard at night and they have a little dog. And I totally understand for, for home defense and, and for hunting and 
you know, going to the gun range and shooting off. Yeah, that's not the issue. Exactly. It's it's just the fact that something so powerful like assault rifles um, and and the the ammo capacity and the strength of the ammo and the ease, you know, online. It's just it's crazy that that's just insane to me. That just defies. I'm like, that's something that I feel like there should be no debate about whether the founding fathers or whatever would be on board (laughs) with that sort of thing. Yeah, given that they had muskets. Exactly. So it's interesting as I hear you talk about this, Stephen, and I'm connecting it to our conversation that we had before this recorded mm-hmm. one. And that is, I hear you toggling back and forth between this sure sounding, I believe in this, this has to happen, this is important, and this doubting self and this self recrimination. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's the plague of lots of artists and creative people in general, that the doubt nibbles at our heels and yaps at us when we're trying to do something brave. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, and still, it sounds like the through thread for you is continuing to come back to believing in this project, having gone through each of the gauntlets of both the creative process and the mechanics of the funding and the, and of making a film and all of those things that you come out the other side of it. And then the thread through both of those parallel stories or the the seesaw between them is empathy. It sounds to me like you empathized with when you saw what happened at Newtown, when you saw what happened at Parkland, when you saw the kids involved, it stirred in you this empathy and that that's what you want for this film. You want there to be an empathic connection between people who have not necessarily been touched by gun violence personally mm-hmm, yet, mm-hmm, as you mm-hmm. say. That seems to be the goal is to 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 use storytelling to build empathy to cause change. Yeah, yeah. I think that it's it's such an effect. I mean, I you know, I think of because this is what I what I've I've dedicated my life to is that it's had such a, a an impact uh on me, film and and theater and 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 shaping my personality and my worldview and the way that I look at the world and, and then going through, um, you know, drama school and, and working with amazing directors that really, re- it just really, really brings you, uh, to a place of, of, of understanding and, and, um, and non, and non-judgment. Uh, there was a, uh, a, a saying that one of my, my favorite acting teachers at school had called, it was practicing awareness without judgment, and it was just looking at something and trying to be as objective as possible. And this was in terms of obviously you may play, you may have to play some despicable characters, but you have to see thing from see things from their point of view. And or you have to understand if, again, you don't want to go into the place of like, well, you know, I've never again, me person, I've never lost anyone directly uh, through, through gun violence again, yet it just seems like a matter of time, but for all of us, but, um, but, but I can, but I can, I can tap into that sense of loss and I can, and because that's the, the, the nature of, of, of powerful storytelling is making sure that the Mm -hmm. stakes are there and it's, and it's life or death. And, and so that's why you have to approach this with, with, yeah, the utmost empathy and, and sensitivity, to the fact that this, especially something like this, has 
continues to happen in in this country and and has has happened so many times. So again, going at it from a a pure purely fictional. This is my story. This started with again a. a uh, just a, an idea that I, a terrible idea that I had is, was, was, was Connors terrible in the sense of like, Oh my God, I can't believe I just thought that. Like, will it take, you know, those people dying in front of those people for them to say, Oh my God, I'd never understood when all these kids died and all these concert goers and church goers and movie theater goers, I, it just didn't sink in, but now it happened right in front of me. And how did they do that? Oh, by exploiting these laws that I'm for, I'm making sure that I keep keep these these lax laws on the books um that that's what it would take and i was like wow there's something really powerful there so what let me maybe expound on that and that was kind of how american morning was was born and and then you know again reaching out to you know being fortunate enough to uh to talk to sandy and lonnie and to get to know them and that this this is something that it's that there is this kind of of anger there is this kind of rage that that uh exists and and i remember getting it from my my teacher friends as well where it was just like this is so you know ridiculous that we have to you know that that this is now part that that active shooter drills are just as common as as fire drills were you know in the 90s well so that that's one last thing i wanted to kind of touch back on that you and i talked about prior to this conversation and that is that you you're about the age of my older son mm -hmm. and which makes me feel really old right now but that's okay <laughs> um you're not. and i'm aware that my two two children my sons grew up with school shootings as a reality because columbine happened when my kids were small when my older kid was mm -hmm. small and then sandy hook when my younger kid was coming through and I think of you as the gun violence generation, <laughs> which really pisses me off. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I didn't, I don't want to be, I don't want to use a, a phrase like that. And I also, I really wonder, even for those who came in perhaps without psychological vulnerability, maybe they didn't have anxiety disorders or obsessive compulsive kinds of things. I just wonder how much more predominant anxiety is for generations that grew up like this because of how terrifying it is. Yeah. All the time. I mean, I, I, I can't imagine if, if I were, you know, the age of your younger child, if I were like young, young, if I, if I were, you know, God forbid the, the, the age of the kids in Sandy Hook when Sandy Hook happened or if, or in elementary school or even in middle school, because yeah, I was a little bit older when Columbine happened, but it was still, we did still have, several active shooter drills um but but i don't think that it was enough to because i was worried about everything and i don't but you, but, were, you were just a kid that came on the planet with some anxiety yeah, and, but 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 thankfully you know columbine did it did really really affect me but i was able to <laughs> i think my other just social anxieties and identity anxieties kind of trumped the fear of being shot in school, but that was just because because of the era. Yeah. And, and we, and, and I, I was in college before I knew it and there weren't any, you know, active shooter drills there, but I wonder like if I had been younger, if I'd been the same person with all the stuff that I came into this world with and it had happened younger and these were more of a regular thing, 
And the shootings themselves, not even the drills, but the shootings themselves were more of a regular thing, how that would have affected me even deeper. And it's one of those like I I I know that it would have. I know that I would have as scared as I was to go to school because I didn't think anybody was going to like me and I didn't think I was going to get good grades. Now it's going to be I am not getting on that bus because I'm going to die. Well, that almost seems quaint by comparison. Exactly. Not, I don't want to sound unsympathetic to your anxiety as a kid, but but by comparison, it's just another another whole world. Well, this film, Stephen, is moving and beautiful, terrible mm-hmm. um, at the same time, and I'm really grateful. And I my my hope for it is that it has and I'm going to put air quotes around this word, that it has great success. And by success, I mean that it changes hearts, mm-hmm. it changes minds, and it can change. And it's part of your activism. I'm so grateful that you are using your art form of storytelling and of filmmaking to further this cause in a way that's meaningful and important. Thank you. I'm really, the, the performances, your performance certainly, and of your co-stars and of the children are so moving and so beautiful, horrible Yeah. <laughs> um, in the, in the same way. So I want to thank you so much for this. And I'm inspired by your continuing to overcome those doubts like creatives must to get their work done. And so grateful to you for this time on the morning glory project. Thank you. Yeah. It's been a joy. And, and yeah, that, that is what we hope that it, um, it, it gets people involved. And it also, even if it's, if it's other storytellers, if it's people saying, I would like to address this in this way, I could get involved in these organizations, but also, you know what, why don't I write something? Why don't I do a play, do a movie, do something like that? Because ultimately what we'd love is if this could go around uh, and be seen as by as many people as possible, not because we're not going to make money. We didn't make it to make money. Nobody makes short films to make money. Nobody makes short films to get famous. <laughs> it's it's a lot. If you just really, really have something um, you need to say, and and that's what this is. This so. had to be a project of the heart because it, it was not going to be profitable. exactly. I only have I only have one small correction. Mm-hmm. It's not even a correction. Maybe it's called American Morning, mm-hmm. and I think it could have easy as easily been titled American Morning, but Morning spelled M O U R. Oh yeah, N-O-N-G. yeah. That's intentional. And, yeah, yeah. So it's it's a beautiful film mm. and and an important message. And I thank you for bringing your art to this work. Thank you very much for having me, Betsy. Appreciate that. Of course, it's just an interesting story to talk to an actor and about how a film gets made and what goes into that. But I want to step back and look at it in a broader way. Stephen's an actor and a writer. And what he did is he used his skills and his art form to further a cause that he was moved to participate in. Now, not all of us are actors. Not all of us have access to the budgets and the inclinations of those creating that particular art. But we all have something. We all have perhaps a talent or a skill, a resource, an idea. (laughs) We can contribute to causes that we believe in 
in whatever way we can. For some, it's writing a check. I know that's an antiquated term. I guess you Venmo the money now. But for some, they don't have time, but they've got financial resources so they can contribute financially. For some, they can write or write music or produce events. For some who are accountants, they can help balance the books or raise the funds. For some, they can simply provide words of encouragement or they can make the cookies and the casseroles or bring the paper napkins and the silverware to the events that are supporting the causes that matter. You know, it's really easy these days to be frustrated and to think that nothing that we can do can make any difference. We're watching so much backward movement. But when you take the longer view of history, we've made progress. Look at what's happened with the civil rights movement, with the women's rights movement, with LGBTQ rights, with awareness about the environmental concerns, even though we're struggling in that area. The long reach of history shows us that progress has been made. And it was made in part because of very visible people out in front of each of those movements. Some of them celebrities, some of them ministers, some of them activists, politicians, whatever. But for each visible person, for each Stephen Dexter... There's a whole crew of people invisibly working behind them to help make the progress happen. So it's easy to give up and easy to get discouraged and feel like nothing matters. But when you look at the long view, the efforts make a difference. So I invite you to look at your abilities. Are you good at fundraising? Are you good at letter writing? Do you have some financial resources? Do you have a little bit of time? Can you watch somebody's kids while they go out and do the march that perhaps you can't do? We all have something to contribute to make this world just a little better. That's my extra boom for today. Thanks so much for your time and your attention today. And I hope that wherever you are, that you are finding your way to bloom.